Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Before I introduce today's guest, I need to play a word from our sponsor. If you know me or were to ask any of my teammates, you know that I put a very high priority on my personal fitness. And the reality is that it takes a lot of brain power to put together workout programs, to decide what you're gonna be doing at the gym each day, make sure you're hitting the right muscle groups with the right intensity, with the right amount of rest. Not everyone has that brain power to dedicate, but still wanna get into the best shape they possibly can. Luckily, the Ultimate Athlete Project is there for you. The Ultimate Athlete Project is an online resource consisting of a detailed workout program designed by a professional strength and conditioning coach. I wanted to learn more from someone who has been a practitioner and user of the Ultimate Athlete Project, so I spoke with... My name is Ben Denica, and I play for Prairie Fire out of Kansas City. I've played Prairie Fire for three years, and I've captained for two of them. He's been doing pretty well on the Ultimate Athlete Project. So in 2015, we returned to Nationals for the second time ever and improved upon our uh, 2014 finish by tying for seventh and qualifying for the pro flight, which is a first in our program history. Most importantly, what results has he seen? Personally, I felt like my endurance was better, my durability was vastly improved, my core fitness was much better, and overall stability, balance, and athleticism were all increased. It's a great program and I would recommend it to anyone. For more information, check out the ultimateathleteproject.com and have your best season ever. Today's guest is Patrick Vandervolk. Patrick may be a lesser known name to those of you in the United States, but he is very busy at work promoting the sport of ultimate. He is the founder of Bula, the international organization promoting the sport of beach ultimate. He has also sat on committees and boards on WIFDIF, the World Flying Disc Federation, for over 15 years. He talks in today's episode about a number of things, including how he came to be involved with WIFDIF, his work to support Spirit of the Game, his estimation of whether Ultimate Frisbee will be included in the 2024 Olympics, as well as his work to promote the sport of Beach Ultimate and his work as an executive consultant. A lot packed in here, so buckle up and enjoy my interview with Patrick Vandervalk. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on my show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. It's a a pleasure being on your show. Uh, So there is a lot that I want to touch on. You're a very busy guy. You're executive consulting, your work to grow the sport of Beach Ultimate, but I actually want to start by talking about your involvement with the World Flying Disc Federation. Uh, You've served on the board, chaired multiple committees for the World Flying Disc Federation, uh, but I really just kind of want to start by learning about how you got involved in the sport and how you got involved with WIFDIF. All right, well, the sport is a gazillion years ago. Um, I started playing when I was 15, um, or at least found out about it when I went to an international camp, and um, then I bought a disc in Holland 
went to a tournament and sort of moved from there. So that's, I don't know, 36 years of playing Ultimate, because I still play it. Um, and then my first real sort of connection with the WFDF is in 2007, when Rue Weitel from Germany was the chair of the Ultimate Committee and decided that we needed a Spirit of the Game Committee. So um, he asked me. I had, um, through Bula, started um, working on a Spirit of the Game scoring sheet back in 2005, and we released it in 2006. And so um, Rui asked me to be on the WFTF or lead the WFTF Spirit of the Game uh, committee, and um, I basically held that position until, I don't know, five days, six days ago, um, 1st of January, Richard Moore from Australia took over that position. So that was my sort of first part of within the WFDF. And in 2010, um, I wrote a proposal to get Beach Ultimate officially recognized as a disc sport. Um, I'd been running Bula for 10 years, and Beach Ultimate was still sort of the uh, just a, a variant of Grass Ultimate and for many reasons, um, I felt that Beach Ultimate actually needed to be its own sport. So I created a 35-page uh, document trying to convince the WFDF board as well as um, the member congress that Beach Ultimate should be recognized as a different sport. Um, that happened in 2010, and subsequently the Beach Ultimate Committee was um, set up which I then became also the chair of. So for uh, five years, I basically was the chair of two WFTF committees. And I'm still the chair of the WFTF Beach Ultimate Committee, as well as the president of Bula. And so that's how I sort of got involved in the WFTF. And um, the Spirit of the Game Committee did not get me a seat on the WFTF board because it was a subcommittee of the ultimate committee but because beach ultimate has its own um, is its own sport now um the chair automatically gets a seat on the wftf board so basically since 2010 i've been a, a wftf board member gotcha so that's kind of an interesting niche within the sport to fall into being in charge of spirit of the game i'd like to learn a little bit more about just kind of what projects you were working on, what your focuses were as the Spirit of game of the Game Committee. And then also, you know, recently with Pro League starting up and observers going from, you know, something you'd only see maybe in the final round of the of nationals to something that's a little bit more ubiquitous, uh, at least here in the States. I'm not sure exactly uh, how that looks over in Europe, but what kind of considerations have had to come into play with this new brand of Ultimate that's refereed where players have been raised to prioritize spirit of the game, but you know, maybe there's some people who want to move away from that as a central ethos. Boy, um, that's, a, that's a, a whole interesting conversation. I think um, the whole referees, observers, game advisors, which is another part which has the WFDF has, has implemented for their events, um, as well as pure self-refereeing. Um, uh, of course, the, 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 the true referees only came in three years ago with uh, AUDL and, and MLU, and I know that there's been a, a, a lot of pushback against 
the the counter is always up, but we still play with spirit, and I agree, there's still lots of spirit being displayed in those um, those games. However, the question becomes, if this becomes natural and kids grow up with this, uh, what happens? Are they still going to be uh, as spirited as the players are now? And I think that's where uh, a lot of the questions are. Um, I try to focus mostly on the solution, and I think um, the solution is better education. I think one of the things that has happened over the years is that everybody sort of knew what spirit of the game was, but there weren't really any sort of ways to teach people what spirit of the game was, and so things sort of evolved. And, it, and if it's, the sport is small, I think that's that's okay. Um, but uh, there was no real teaching. And so the last couple of years um, within WFDF, we have really focused on education. In 2014, we had the Spirit of the Game conference in LECO, where we had several panels that talked about Spirit of the Game on different levels for youth at the top level, um, international level, um, women, you name it. Um, we filmed those. We then um, put them on the WFDF website and promoted them. We've also done a lot of work on the Spirit of the Game scoring system. And the advantage of the scoring system is, is not just that you can determine a winner. I think that's a, that's a nice added bonus. But it, it's really very good for um, education. And um, as I said, the, the, we started the Spirit of the Game scoring system with Bula in 2005, launched it in 2006. It was based on a scoring system that came out of Montreal, and that we took, and what we did is we asked a lot of tournament directors to use it. We got Lookfly involved at that point to um, hand out Spirit of the Game awards for the tournaments that were actually using the scoring system and sent us feedback. So we got actually a lot of feedback worldwide, uh, uh, Europe, U.S., Asia, um, Africa at that point wasn't really existing yet. Uh, on what people thought of the scoring system, and it went through various iterations. And I think the, la the latest iteration that we released was in 2014, where we sort of narrowed it down what people think about spirit. And uh, the first and foremost is knowing the rules. I think a lot of the, the issue come in a game with knowing the rules. So that was the number one. Avoiding body contact, I think we saw that happen sort of throughout the progression of Ultimate, but it was still a non-contact sport. So avoiding body contact and avoiding fouls was a, another big one. Um, then it's uh, the fair-mindedness. Are you honest in your opinion and in your conversations? Um, it is also having fun. Uh, the, uh, the first rule in Ultimate was always talk about uh, uh, never at the uh, expense of the enjoyment of the game. And I think having fun is just a, a key element of Ultimate and of Spirit of the Game. And the last one was that we added um, two years ago was communication. I think as long as you have good communication between players and teams, you can resolve a lot of uh, a lot of conflict. So by having a spirit of game scoring system that we try to like get into in front of players uh, after each game, you you get people not just to think about Spirit of the Game, but actually learn about it. And hey, you have something to show your new players when new players come into your team and you do the Spirit of the Game scoring system that without having to go through all kinds of what is Spirit of the Game, you can now show these are sort of the five fundamentals of Spirit of the Game. So we focused on that a fair bit. And 
my hope is that by doing this, we can actually still continue on most levels, if not all levels, to be observer less, referee less, and even game advisor less. The the game advisor was sort of within WFDF. We heard that there were still issues, and, and Spirit of Game is not perfect, so there's still issues. So there was a request to do something about some of the games that were sort of getting out of whack. And the, the observer system wasn't really considered because uh, most people uh, on the WFDF side, and especially the non-North Americans, really felt that the... Um, the decision still had to remain with the player. So no third party making decisions for you. You can ask for advice, sort of how observers started. And so we had I don't know, a year, year and a half conversation with a very good group of people, including people from USA Ultimate um, and worldwide. And we came up with the game advisors. Um, they were first launched also in 2014 in LECO. And the WFDF is continuing to to work on that, to develop that, and it's similar to observers, but it's more keeping the decisions in the hands of the players. Um, my hope is still that when we continue to educate people about Spirit of the Game and really make a system that not only you you teach people, but by having a spirit captain that sort of instills this, by having on a national level a spirit scoring and a spirit director on a national level, you can actually see on a national level where there are problems with teams. You can talk to them, like UK Ultimate um, has a whole policy on how to deal with teams that have low spirit scores. And so if you can do it on a national level, you can even raise it to an international level. So uh, we can possibly maintain good spirit without the need for observers, um, as long as we educate people well. And it has to come from uh, the early ages. And um, I still don't believe that we need observers or um, referees especially. I think that's a, you lose something with the sport. But I know that's a, a partially personal opinion, but I also don't think that there's people that really have said, okay, it is a problem. I always hear that. Uh, we need referees because it will uh, make the sport more attractive uh, because otherwise it's too many um, uh, too many stoppages. Well, there's lots of sports with, with stoppages, and if you use them well and if you can have the conversations uh, taped and stuff, I don't think that stoppages is going to take away from the enjoyment of the game. What I do believe is that by 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 having um, referees and partially observers, um, you take away something that is special to the game, something that makes it unique, that makes it people talk about the fact that it is self-refereed. So I actually think that it won't necessarily help the viewability of the game, but it deters a little bit, or not deters, it stops a um, an extra conversation that you can have on why this game is so special, and I think a lot of players really find that it's special because it is it is not refereed. And I think so. I know that's a probably long answer to a very short question. No, no, I I really appreciate that, and thank you for sharing your opinion. It's something that 
I too have wrestled with. Last year was my first year in the AUDL and having referees is a very different experience. There was one instance where, you know, I in a in a game I felt like I had caught the disc and then someone hit my arm and it ended up, you know, there was no opportunity to just work that out. It seemed like the defender you know, knew that he that he had fouled me, or at least would have been willing to discuss it. I felt I'd been fouled, but there's this outside entity who now has the final say on what the call was, and there's nothing you can really do about it other than kind of put your hands up. And even that is, you know, taking away from my ability to get back on defense. So that is something that I certainly wrestle with, and it's also something I think about a lot. Is you've you've talked about kind of the top-down approach of whiff diff instilling these game advisors and these protocols that affect national teams and without a doubt those policies trickle down into those nations and leagues and regions Uh, but also I've seen it from kind of the bottom up as you mentioned you know having that education take place at a young level I was a counselor at a camp called Camp Spirit of the Game for three years that was located here in Pittsburgh And one of the things, one of the primary focal points of the camp was the different values that we wanted to to teach these kids. And, you know, one of the key ones was integrity. And we would just talk the entire day about, you know, self-refereeing a game and making the right call and how it feels to win by making the wrong calls. If If you drop the disc, but you call it up or something to that effect. And those lessons really being impactful wherever those players go, whether they end up playing for a national team or if, you know, maybe they're not playing the sport anymore four years from now, those values are something that transcend our sport and I think is what a lot of people stand for when they defend it. In, in addition to, you know, I like the sport to be unique, I like it to, you know, have this feature that, you know, keeps it from being maybe plagued with jerks. It's also a value that I think we need more of across the across the scope of things. So I, I, I appreciate and I feel, maybe not exactly the same, but a similar value to the spirit of the game and the self-refereed component of our sport. Um, kind of changing lanes a little bit, you mentioned that you've been with, with, with Diff for a while, and recently in 2013, uh, the... World Flying Disc Federation was provisionally recognized by the International Olympic Committee. And just last year in 2015, it was granted full recognition. Within the sport, this was acknowledged as kind of being the next steps towards the sport one day being in the Olympics, which is something a lot of people aspire to for the sport. Uh, Can you talk, it's very exciting, but I'm sure it's very stressful for the organization. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be involved in the organization while this process was going on? Yeah, um, a lot of the work uh, really uh, fell on the shoulders of uh, Fulker, Bernardi, and and Nob, the president. Um, they did a lot of the legwork. Fulker went to a lot of meetings. Uh, it's it's really a lot about networking and talking. And of course, we have a great story and we have a great sport so in in, in many ways it, it made sense for us to be there um, I think we have a young audience it is an exciting sport so I think um, a lot of the work was done by those two and we at the board level have got informed and of course were involved in, in in making decisions but I think those two really sort of get the credit for 
for moving this forward. And I think it's been a great, been great for the sport. Um, I must admit, when it when it first started, I had some hesitations because it does take a fair bit of the time away from uh, Volker, and Volker is the only full-time person working in the WFTF. And everybody else is volunteer, with the exception of Karina, who's part-time, who's doing the events. But Volker is the only full-time employee. And so I was some, somewhat hesitant because I know how much work I know, all the federations take. And um, knowing how much work the, the Olympic Committee would take, I was a bit hesitant. But in the end, I'm, I'm happy that he sort of set it through. And I think we've, we've really seen a a good uptake on on a, a national levels where national federations sort of are are more recognized by their own government because of this so i think it's been been very positive and i think now we're all really sort of rooting to try to get ultimate or beach ultimate um, in the 2024 olympic games i think that's the the first year that it's realistic um, 2020 is not going to happen uh, but 2024, I think, is realistic. Um, if LA gets the bit, that definitely um, makes it even more realistic. I think uh, if it's in Hungary or maybe and Germany, I don't think is is, is going to happen because they they rejected um, having the Olympics there. But I think it's Paris, Budapest, and one more city um, that might be more difficult. But if LA gets um, the Olympic bid for 2024, I have a feeling that we definitely can um, see a good push for this sport becoming a part of the Olympics. And my personal hope is we'll be beach ultimate because I think that's going to be would be amazing. That would be really cool and some definitely something to root for. Uh, you've been incredibly involved with the growth of beach ultimate, as you hinted at earlier in the interview. Uh, you founded Bula the Beach Ultimate Lovers Association in 2001. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about where the initial interest in Beach Ultimate came from and what kind of those early years of starting the organization was like? Yeah, so in, in around 2000, um, I had moved to Portugal in 1995 um, from Canada and before that I was in Holland. Um, so I we tried Beach or, or Grass Ultimate here first because there was not, nothing here and then found that Beach Ultimate was just easier to get people to. 97, I got I started a tournament here in, in Portugal called Bar do Pais Tournament that is celebrating its 20th year this year. And um, after us, there was a bunch of other tournaments starting to come up. And in, in the meantime, of course, Paganello was always sort of the big international Beach Ultimate extravaganza. So in 1999, we got a whole bunch of tournament directors together and started talking about this. Um, Bula actually got started at Paganello, a bunch of people there started naming it. And, um, and we started just thinking about how can we grow Beach Ultimate, and we all really liked it. And so we just sat down at, uh, on the beach, and there was about know, 20 of us um, from all over the world um, that were sort of organizing Beach Ultimate. And we decided to move Bula forward. Then in 2001, I had taken a year off work. Um, I had started a company before that and grew that and sort of said, all right, I need a, a year off. It had grown from three to 180 people. So I decided, okay, let's, let's take this Bula idea and do something with it. So I sort of 
became the person to lead it, but we're all volunteers. Nobody's making any money with it, um, but we started writing the rules for Beach Ultimate, um, helping tournaments getting developed. There was something called the Beach Ultimate Traveling Tournament, or BUT, and um, basically one, one event a year we would really sort of help promote um, them to know, start Beach Ultimate, and we did it in Brazil, we did it in Israel, we did it in the Canary Islands, sort of all over the place. We we started these these traveling tournaments, and I know just helping people out. It was it was all about growing the sport and what people needed. Um, whether it's how to get sidelines, we made um, documents and how to get sponsors. Um, we worked with vendors to get discounts for beach ultimate tournaments. So it was all—it was a sort of community effort that yes, I led, but it was a—it a, was a community effort, and that slowly but surely started to to grow. And then in 2004, um, here in Portugal, I was approached by an event organizer that says, "Is there any world championships?" And I said, "No." And she says, "Let's do a world championship." I said, "Great, let's do it." But he bailed about three months before the world championships started. And we were left with 38 teams coming to Portugal. The Portuguese community was 40 people, 50 people in total. And suddenly we had to deal with all these teams coming, which, thank goodness, the community came together. And we, I think we run a, a really good first world championships. Then 2007 had the second world championships in Brazil. And things slowly started to grow. We had a, an Asian championships in, in Boracay 2009, Europeans in France 2008 and slowly but surely the sport got its recognition 2010 we got recognized by the WFDF and 2011 was really sort of the peak year where with WFDF's help and Bula's input we got the uh, the world championships in Lignano in Italy and that was sort of the sort of the big one that sort of came out it was uh, with a thousand players showing up and it, it went really well. And I think that sort of put Beach Ultimate on the map. And in 2013, um, we had the European Championships of Beach Ultimate in Calafel uh, in Spain. And again, we had about 1,000 players, 1,500 or 1,050 players. Um, and so uh, even though it wasn't all the world teams, it was already showing growth. And I think that was a really positive growth. Um, we had really good um uh, online coverage of the event um, and the online scoring and all those type of things. And then um, 2015, oh, actually, that event sort of showed, okay, Bula was never a a real entity. It was a bunch of volunteers uh, sort of behind the website with a logo, and that was it. And uh, any finances that, that had to do with it sort of had to go through my personal bank account, and it just became something that I didn't want to do through my personal bank account. So and I said, all right, we, we got we to gotta do something with Bula. We have to make it uh, a, a, a legitimate organization. So we could either go through um, all kinds of uh, legal issues with trying to set up a, a not-for-profit. Uh, it will be probably in Portugal because that's where I live. Um, or I could um, basically create... Uh, Within a couple of hours, a an, a real company, a normal company, as everybody else had through in, through a UK organization called Companies Made Simple. So uh, that allowed us to at least have a legal status. It wasn't because it was for profit. It was just an easy thing to do because all of us are 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 
we're doing this on the side. This is uh, we have our full-time jobs. This is something that we do on the side. So, 2013, we started this process of getting uh, Bula officially recognized as a, as a organization, and um, we got the um, the bids for 2015 World Championships, and Dubai looked really good. And so Dubai was our next big event in 2015, so this uh, last year in, in March, and that one was you know, excellent. I mean, it was almost flawless. Um, the local tournament organization did a really good job. One of the things that we had decided within Bula was that we want to keep some of the knowledge in-house. Um, I felt that by the way it used to be is that basically WFDF would sort of sanction a local group saying, okay, you can do uh, this championship and so you can do that championship. But they would lose all the knowledge that one championship had to another. So we had recognized that in 2011 already, so 2013 in, in Spain, um, Vibula was much more involved in the organization than the WFDF ever was on their events. Now, in the meantime, they have also sort of seen that this is the right thing to do, and that's why they hired Karina to actually get that sort of knowledge in-house. And just, it helps, it helps local tournament directors, it helps uh, the, the organization um, like WFTF and Bula, because you just eh, don't lose anything. So, um, 2015 came, um, Bula was very much involved in the World Championships, and uh, I think it was a, a huge success. And then uh, this year we had to re-sign the agreement with the WFTF. So in 2010, when um, the WFTF officially recognized the the sport of beach ultimate, um, Bula was running the World Championships. So uh, we then said, okay, let's let's get the WFTF to at least sanction it. Um, they were not really involved. I mean, I was involved because I was the, the chair of the Beach Ultimate Committee, but basically I, I worked as the head of Bula organizing the events. Um, now, tw now this year, it was the, the year that the contract sort of expired, and um, we had to re redo the, the contract between the WFDF and Bula, but because Bula is a for-profit organization officially, uh, even though, like I said, it's not, this is not what we do. This is not our livelihood. It's just sort of, it, it made sense for us to do it as a for-profit because it's easy. Um, we did have to sort of re, renegotiate or re-talk with the WFTF. So now it's, it's a WFTF, um, World Championships of Beach Ultimate, in association with Bula. So and now Bula is the organization that helps the local tournament directors uh, with set up. Um, we do a lot of the project management through a system called Asana, um, which is a, a project management system. Um, Bula will take care of sponsorship, the website, the promotion, um, online scoring, all those type of things. Um, so Bula is still much more in, uh, much involved, but the WFDF sort of takes care of the members, uh, the registration of the teams that dealing with all the team captains or the team managers. So we sort of split up the work a little bit. Um, we do promotion, website, broadcast those type of things and they deal with the members and that's where we are now now um, for 2017 which is going to be the next world championships we will have we had I think it's nine bids or nine requests for bids that by the 15th of this month they will have to send out or send us the uh, the fi their final bids 
but we had nine organizations that said, okay, we want to host the 2017 World Championships, which was uh, unheard of. I mean, that's just, that's just huge. It just shows how the sport is really booming. Um, if all goes according to plan, there's going to be the World Beach Games, which is not a WFDF thing, but an ANOC, the Association of National Olympic Committees. Um, they're having the, the World Beach Games in San Diego in September of 2017 and uh, although we haven't gotten the official uh, uh, invitation yet uh, there's definitely indications that beach ultimate will be a part of that so the sport of beach ultimate is really starting to to, to grow and uh, a lot of good things and still uh, no referees no observers no game advisors are on any of it um, there was one small incident in in dubai which asked for a spirit timeout where the U.S. and the Philippines sat down on the field, which I thought was done very well. And uh, people were talked about the problem that was they were seeing on the field. And apart from that, there was no, no real problems. I mean, there were maybe one or two more games that things got a bit out of hand. But by having a little bit of this, this scoring system, more education and conversations with the national federations, I still believe that we can continue to have Beach Ultimate as purely self-refereed. We don't, I personally don't think that we need game advisors um, or observers, I mean, definitely not. Um, so I think Beach Ultimate has, has the potential of, of going a long way in being a, a very popular self-refereed sport. At least that's what I'm hoping and rooting for and fighting for. Gotcha. Yeah, my friend Tyler was a part of Team USA and went to the games in Dubai and came back and just could not say enough good things about the experience he had there. He said it was wonderful. So definitely excited to see what the next iteration looks like. Excited to see uh, you be a part of the World Beach Games and hopefully an Olympic event one day. So thank you for the work that you're doing for that. It's uh, as you've mentioned, you are a volunteer in most capacities as it relates to your work for Ultimate. So when you're not doing that, you are working as an executive consultant. So to just kind of understand how you manage this, all these different things, what are you doing in your day job? Um, would you call yourself a freelancer? How does that work and how does that intersect with the work that you do for Ultimate? Yeah, um, I've always worn a lot of hats, um, been involved in many different things. And, and I think partially my personality maybe the fact that I'm Dutch, but I'm, I'm sort of, I like being effective and efficient. Uh, I like to, to plan um, things so that uh, when it comes to execution, it's actually well thought through, but I don't, I don't hesitate too much. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an entrepreneur. Um, I started, uh, when I moved to Portugal, my background, I'm a synthetic chemist, and there was no work here for a synthetic chemist, so I started a company um, basically creating websites for chemical companies. This is 95, so this is when the Internet had just come out. I had already done two websites in Canada for chemical companies, and I sort of took this on. Then I started working with two guys in Atlanta online, and the three of us then started a company or, or merged, and the company ChemConnect, um, we started working on it. It was an, an, an online marketplace for chemicals. Then in 98, when the Internet uh, started to really boom, we raised $4 million from IVP in San Francisco. I moved to San Francisco. Um, then it, basically the, the, the typical internet startup life started and it was three of us um, in the end of 98. At the end of 2000, when I actually left the company, 
We had 180 people. We had raised another $100 million on top of the first $4 million. And things were just crazy, but then it was too big. So I decided, okay, I'm going to take a year off. That's the year that I actually then started Bula, or that the year after I started taking on Bula. And then I started working on with startups, um, various startups here in Portugal, just helping people grow, people grow their ideas, um, uh, different needs. And I'm sort of fairly broad in what I do. Um, I, I know marketing. I know technology. I know sales, I know, I know HR, because I've been in several environments where all these things were, were needed. And so um, I started working for another company in the U.S. in 2007 called Archimedes, helped them out, sort of set up the company. Then I rolled into a job as a director of marketing for them. Um, that company then got bought by another company. I worked for them for another year, and then early last year, just before... Dubai, um, I started working for myself again. And just after Dubai, I started, uh, I don't know if you saw that, but um, try to get the World Series of Beach Ultimate going, where we take Paganello, Boracay Open, and Wildwood. And the winners of those three events would go to the, um, the World Series finals in Dubai in 2016. Um, unfortunately, uh, we couldn't get enough sponsors to pay for this because I definitely didn't want to put more cost on the players because uh, one of the problems at this point is that players just, it's costly. Like, I've spent so much money as a player going to all these events that I really wanted to do something for the players that would not cost them extra money. But we couldn't. And one of the things I've learned over the years working with all these companies is that uh, you try something, you fail quickly, and you move on. Um, then I worked with another group um, starting another startup called Daisy Bell. Again, uh, doing research, figuring out, finding out that we are too early, or uh, Daisy Bell was too early in the market. Uh, basically, looking for constantly for groups, people that want to, that have an idea to develop something. And that's sort of my my pitch in general is that I'm broad. I can really help people think about different things, and then have the know know how the tools to actually move things forward. I, I, that's what I do. I move things forward, um, just my personality-wise. So that's sort of where I am at, at this point, just uh, looking for new opportunities, help people grow their plan, their idea, because I know I can help. So I, know, I guess that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely someone that makes things happen. I want to commend you for all the great work you're doing for the sport and for Beach Ultimate. So if people want to connect with you in the digital world, learn more about Bula, learn more about the other work that you're doing, where is the best place for them to find you on the internet? Um, so Patrick Vandervalk, uh, my name, .com is one. And then for the Beach Ultimate stuff, if you go to beachultimate.org, that's the other website that people can go to. Cool. All of that will be linked to in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. Make sure you check it out. Patrick, I'm going to thank you once again so much for coming on the show and I'll give you the mic one last time to issue a personal challenge to the audience. All right. So my, my, my challenge, as I said, um, I like sort of efficiency and effectiveness and I think it's important for people to do that so they, they can do it in a professional life as well as in their personal life. I, I think nowadays it's so easy for people to 
um, just get caught up on work and not spend enough time with your friends and your family. So my challenge is um, for the audience is to find a way to be more efficient and effective with your professional time so you can spend more time having fun with your friends and family. So that's my challenge. Hopefully people can take that up because I think uh, have all your houses in, in, in balance. Don't put everything in work. Don't put everything in friends and having fun. Uh, have a nice balanced life. And if you're like effective and, and efficient, you can actually do a lot of things and you will have a full life. And eventually when we all die, you go, okay, I had a great life. And that's sort of what I want to do as well. I like that. Thank you. Anything in particular that you've implemented recently to make your work life more efficient? You mentioned Asana. Um, Asana, I, I think Asana is a, is a great tool. Um, I'm trying to get away from email a bit more. Uh, the zero inbox is something that I definitely um, practice a lot. And then um, to help with that, there's two programs. Clear Context, if you are an Outlook user, Clear Context will really help you be more effective and efficient. And for Gmail, I would say Boomerang um, will help you a lot, uh, creating good follow-ups, um, putting emails away until it's really time to do something about them. So I can, I can highly recommend Clear Context, Boomerang, and Asana as well. Cool. Thank you so much for that. We just went deep with Patrick Vandervolk of WIFDIF, Bula, and his own executive consultancy. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Patrick for sharing so much of his time with me. I learned a lot, and I'm really excited to see where the future of the sport's going after talking with him. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you do not miss any future episodes. We have a ton of exciting ones coming down the pipe, including some stars of the AUDL and the commissioner, Steve Gordon. So, Stay tuned for that. Until next time, I really appreciate you listening. Consider heading over to iTunes and giving the show a five-star review. I would really appreciate that. But I'm Aaron Watson, and I'll catch you next time.